Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. How are you doing this Monday morning? I'm good. I'm ready to talk about Brittany. I have to say, I think we did a really good job about refraining from talking about it before the podcast. Oh, we had to. We had to save it. It was hard. It, it was, but I'm really glad that we did. No, me too. I mean, let's get right into it. Are you fine with that? Yeah, definitely. So obviously, we're going to be covering other things, but this is definitely the main topic. And I want to start out by saying, in the description, we're going to put the link to the YouTube of the full 23-minute audio. But I cannot stress enough how important it is to really listen to that audio, to hear it from her mouth. Because when you listen to her speak with so much conviction and so much strength, I really think it changes the way that you may perceive this. And so I'm sure most people listening probably already listened, but if not, just take a moment, pause this. It's really worth listening and then coming back. Don't you think? Absolutely. Because that was also one of my biggest takeaways, if not my biggest takeaway, was how she actually sounded when she was speaking. Because the way we typically hear her speak is through her Insta videos and her Instagrams. And there is such a stark comparison to the way she sounds in those and the way she sounded during this, that it it changed. Not that it changed anything about the way I felt about the situation, but I think my interpretation of her changed so much based on hearing her actually speak. I feel the same way because the thing with Brittany that's so interesting is although in some ways we really get absolutely nothing and so much of this is such a mystery and the public just in general is not privy to so much information, what we do get of her is actually very visual. You know, it's not like she's just posting random things on her Instagram. We're actually getting videos of her. And so naturally, because of the lack of other information, you start in your head to kind of draw up what you think is going on with her. So then when this person that's speaking doesn't necessarily match that. You're right. I think it makes it more powerful. It it totally does. And with her, she spoke about this in her statement and her Instagram post that she posted after where she 
spoke about kind of putting on this facade of making everybody think everything was okay. And at the very least, she was happy and enjoying herself and doing all of these things. So when you have that element of it and you compare the way she's speaking in those two things versus court where she's making a statement on behalf of herself and really trying to emphasize her truth versus Instagram where she's telling us, you know, she's putting on this brave face and she's putting on this act. And you can really see the difference between those two things. It was just, it was very stark. It really was. So just for a little bit of background, this was on Wednesday. It was a 23-minute statement. It was done over Zoom. And keep in mind, she has been under this conservatorship since February 2008. So we're going on 13 years now. And since 2019, Jody Montgomery, who was a professional that was appointed by the court, has acted kind of as her temporary conservator over all of her personal matters instead of her father. The way that we're going to do this is I'm sure most people listened or at least read about it. So we're not going to go through every single point and read it verbatim. I do just want to read her initial statement and then we can kind of pick and choose which quotes we read. But it starts by saying, they've done a good job at exploiting my life and the way that they've done my life. So I feel like it should be an open court hearing and they should listen and hear what I have to say. I have a lot to say, so bear with me. Basically, a lot has happened since two years ago, the last time. I will be honest with you. I haven't been back to court in a long time because I don't think I was hurt on any level when I came to court the last time. What she's referring to was 2019 when she addressed the court in a closed hearing. And at the time she said, you know, she felt forced by the conservatorship into a stay at a mental health facility and to perform against her will. So what happened on Wednesday was a far more intensive explanation as to what she said in 2019, correct? Yeah, definitely. Why don't we start out with Give me your just overwhelming reaction to this entire thing, because I think I would have to imagine that you had a somewhat visceral reaction, as I think a lot of us did, hearing her say these things. Yeah, of course. Well, I think the overwhelming reaction for myself and kind of everybody else is like, it was almost like your worst fears about it coming true, because we've heard so many things about the conservatorship, but it was all, you know, either opinions of other people, conspiracy theories about, you know, doing deep dives into her Instagram and her life and these other things. Like nothing came straight from her mouth. So we all had these ideas about what we thought was being controlled and what aspects of her life were being controlled and what she thought of it. But there was no sense of confirmation. So it kind of just existed as a theory in your head and you were waiting for her to speak. And I think what happened was she got up there and she spoke and it was almost worse than the picture we had had. And it was almost worse than what we all thought to be the case or what we all hypothesized to be the case. And I think that was kind of the overwhelming thing. And the other thing is I still feel like there's so much confusion surrounding this because it is such a complicated legal matter. And on top of that, it's not conservatorships are not something that we deal with in our day-to-day lives. So it's one of those things where you keep questioning and you're like, okay, well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? What if her dad steps down? What if, and I know so many people in my own life have asked me like parents, especially like, how did this happen? How do we get it out? And there's a lot of things we still just do not have answers to. So I would say the overwhelming thing is just like extreme sadness for her and also extreme confusion. I think it's human nature that when you know for a fact, you're not getting all the information, you start to obviously create things in your head. And it can go one of two ways. On one hand, sometimes you can make up something in your mind that you think is worse. Or at the same time, because of how powerless we all kind of feel, you maybe can tell yourself that there's no way it's really this bad. 
So then for her to come out here and actually validate and confirm everybody's worst nightmare, it's terrifying. And I think what I'm seeing is that it's not just the people that are diehard Britney fans that are out there with free Britney shirts chanting, that are sitting outside, and they're the ones that are live streaming her hearing. These are regular people that are maybe fans of pop culture, maybe not, but obviously have a liking towards Britney and are not just saddened by this. They're actually enraged. Like I think the most normal reaction to this is just straight up anger and frustration because you just want to do something and you can't believe that this is allowed to happen. And then you're hit with the realization of like, fuck, what can we do except for continue to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of those things I think where everybody's pretty united on this and really, really, you're right, just absolutely enraged by this. But the other thing here is like, obviously, we're talking about Britney. This has to do with Britney herself. But this is a much, much larger conversation about disability and disability rights and mental health issues in this country and mental health rights that Britney kind of almost acts as a surrogate for being able to say like something is seriously wrong here and something is seriously broken and our approach to these situations cannot be this. So I think this united front that everybody has regarding this situation is obviously like what Britney is going through and what Britney has been forced to go through is an absolute abuse of power and an abuse of another human being. But also so many people in their own lives have people that they can see in Britney and say like, this is a person I want to protect. This is a person who I want to have the same rights and the same considerations. And when I look at Britney, I see how easy it is for those things to be, you know, called into question or taken away or abused under the law. So obviously this is very Britney centric. And what we're talking about today is like, her conservatorship specifically, but it is when you strip it all away, a much larger conversation. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. She sheds light on it because we don't often deal with conservatorships. And I would say, like you said, in our daily lives, these are not conversations we are normally having. And I think it's just like, we're all being confronted with something that we can very objectively realize is an injustice and wanting to solve that injustice kind of takes you over. I know I said it earlier. I can't stress it enough. Hearing her speak was something I did not think we were going to get. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, but I just, even still, I don't think that I envisioned it to go in this way. And I don't know that I expected myself to be as taken aback as I was hearing her. Well, first of all, this was definitely something that I would say was like a watershed moment. Like there was a lot of buildup to this point of hearing her speak in court and her having the ability to speak in court and have it be open And I think that's also one of the reasons why everyone is so vocal about this is because, again, going back to that feeling of powerlessness, it's extremely overwhelming, especially when you break down the logistics of, okay, what's next? What happens now? But I think people are also recognizing like the fact that this has been a conversation that we haven't let up on, the fact that we had a documentary from the New York Times come out that really brought this to the mainstream, the fact that this has really become a movement has pushed for this to be a more open understanding of what's going on and more open hearings and Brittany having the opportunity to speak. So I think there is this overwhelming understanding that like the more pressure we put on the situation as the public, the more we're going to be able to get out of it because had this not come to light, had we not spoken about it, had that podcast from those girls who really started the free Brittany movement 
not come out, the Britney Instagram girls, who knows whether this would have ever even taken place, the ability for her to confront this conservatorship and speak in court and let the world know what's going on. Who knows if that would have even had the opportunity to happen. So I think that people really understand the power of their voice in this situation. And it's, you know, that feeling of helplessness obviously is about us because we feel like there's nothing we can do. But also we understand that Britney's in this situation where she's almost completely helpless. So the louder everyone else is and the louder everybody reacts and uses their voices, it's allowing her to have her voice. Yes. I was kind of taken aback when she said that she didn't realize that this was going to be an open hearing. That's what she wanted. And that's what she was asking for. And you saw that as she was talking, she was kind of adjusting her notes because she didn't know that that was what the case was going to be. Didn't you find that to be interesting? Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. I, you know, uh, that's something that got brought up a couple of times throughout what she was speaking was clearly things have not been explained to her in the way they should be. For example, she talks about how you know, she didn't know that she had the opportunity to petition for the conservatorship to end. So clearly, on top of everything, there is a real lack of information being relayed to her. Yes. And that, I think, specifically, aside from the specifics of her case when it comes to, you know, the Vegas residency and things that we can get into, just the very fact that, like, the one thing that should be the consistent is that everybody involved should at least be aware as to the legal proceedings should be aware as to their rights. And when somebody isn't even explicitly and intentionally is not told their rights, that is when we have a huge problem. And like you said, it's not just with Brittany. I would imagine that this happens with a lot of other people that are in conservatorships or this type of situation. And so when she said to the judge, you know, I apologize for my ignorance, it's kind of like, that is what they want. That is what the people that are in control of her want. They, The less information that she has, the better, because as we know, knowledge is power. And she's saying in her thing, you know, I've been doing research. I realize now that I have more rights than I thought. It just goes to show what is not being told to her. And that is simply not fair. I mean, that is illegal. Yeah, no, it's, it's on every level just wrong. And again, this is one of those situations where you take somebody who is as popular, powerful, well-known, wealthy, influential as Britney Spears. And you see that even she is stuck in a situation where, you know, the power she has for herself is so limited. And you can only imagine what a situation similar to this or somebody dealing with, you know, mental health issues similar to this and, and being controlled like this could do with none of those things. So it's, again, it, it's such a larger conversation. I do feel like that is why people are so attached to this is because like it's, it is so much larger than this, but just on the Britney level, it's like you are literally watching somebody fight for their rights in front of your own eyes. And, you know, for her to be able to come forward and say, like, I did not even fully understand or have the knowledge of what I was allowed to do under this is like, how do you put somebody in this situation and then not give them all of the tools necessary to get out of it? And I don't mean the people who are in charge of the conservatorship because obviously we know what their goal is. Their goal is to keep her in this because they can continue to profit off of her and benefit off of her being in this situation. But I just mean, like, it, it feels like the entire legal system is failing her. And that's what's really frustrating to watch is you're like, okay, I understand how these people are doing it. I understand what the people in charge of her are getting out of it and why they're controlling her. Why is nobody else on the other end of it, the people that are supposed to be her advocates, 
the legal system, the courts, why are they not the people stepping in being like, wow, this is a clear abuse of power. You are clearly being abused as the courts. We will step in. And that's what is so unbelievably confusing and frustrating. Well, yes, it feels like a fundamental disconnect. And I think that that's the stuff that breeds some of these you know, deeper kind of like conspiracy type things, because you actually can't believe that if everything is operating in the way that it's supposed to, that something like this could happen. But then you very quickly realize, well, the truth is that things aren't operating in the way that they're supposed to clearly, or at least the current system in the way that it's set up is not at all sufficient. Well, that's why I think we, when we had spoken about this previously, prior to hearing her speak, there were so many what we consider to be like these conspiracy theory type things or our own opinions kind of, you know, running out of control about what we thought about the situation. But then you almost would calm yourself down or or reassess the situation by saying like, okay, so there are people in charge of her. We obviously know what they're doing. But then there's a whole team of legal professionals and medical professionals that just have to do their job. So as long as they're doing their job correctly, then the situation she's in can't possibly be as bad as we're making out in our head. Because as a medical professional, for example, a therapist, somebody prescribing her medication, like their only obligation is to her as her patient, not to the conservator. So, you know, you kind of rationalize that. And as Brittany's speaking and she's talking about her management team calling her therapist saying that she's not being cooperative, even though she is her management team calling her therapist saying that she isn't taking her medication, even though she says the same woman had given it to her every single morning for years and years on end. And her therapist putting her on lithium as a response to her management team telling them telling her therapist something. That's when it's like, what is going on here? And how is every single level of this just abusive and corrupt? Right. How is it that at every single level, her voice, especially and specifically as it applies to what is going on in her own mind, is completely being stripped? And that is the part with what I was saying is when you're listening, all of the rationalizations that you've done, and I say you meaning all of us that we naturally have done, completely went away because you can't listen to that and then simultaneously rationalize. And then when she's talking about being sent away, I want to read this one quote because the end really struck me as I have to imagine it did for you guys. And you totally didn't even talk about this. She goes, over the two-week holiday, a lady came into my home for four hours a day, sat me down and did a psych test on me. It took forever, but I was told I had to. Then after I got a phone call from my dad saying, after I did the psych test with this lady, basically saying I'd failed the test. I'm sorry, Brittany, you have to listen to your doctors. They're planning to send you to a small home in Beverly Hills to do a small rehab program that we're going to make up for you. You're going to pay $60,000 a month for this. I cried on the phone for an hour and he loved every minute of it. The control he had over someone as powerful as me, he loved the control to hurt his own daughter 100,000%. He loved it. That to me, in addition to the IUD part, which we can talk about, was one of the most chilling lines of this entire statement. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, I think that's another reason that it's really difficult to understand this situation, like especially as somebody when you... When you're somebody who can't imagine a parent exploiting a child like that, like on any level, like it is just something that is so, and obviously there are people that can understand that. And that is for a lot of people who have, you know, relationships with their parents that are not ideal and, you know, have had difficult relationships. There are people that can look at the situation and understand how it can end up like this. When you're somebody who looks at the situation and you just can't possibly understand how a father could take control over their child like that and then enjoy it and use it for their own benefit and exploit them to every like 
exploit them in every sense of the word, it's a really, really difficult thing to even begin to wrap your head around. Yeah, because I think obviously we all knew and were very aware of the fact that he was in this for his benefit. And I think a lot of us thought that it was financially motivated, which it is. Let's not at all overlook that. Clearly, there's a huge element of this and probably an overwhelming one that is financial. That being said, the way that she described it, it really made it even more sick and twisted than we had thought. It's one thing to just be unfair. It's another thing for her with such conviction to say that he basically got off on knowing he had power over somebody that was so powerful like her. And when you're talking about it, it's very easy to forget that we're talking about her father here. We're not talking about some person that was you know, hired by her explicitly has no personal relationship. We're talking about the same guy that raised her. And the the one of the unique things with Brittany is that because she's been in the public's orbit for so many years, you don't have to just think back and make up what you envisioned her to be like as a child and think back to, you know, how did this happen? I have to imagine her and her father had a good relationship growing up. You actually can picture it because we've seen those. We grew up with young Brittany being taken places by her parents. And so I just think it makes the impact of it even stronger and even more devastating when you have a clear picture to reference. Yeah, that's totally it. It's, yeah, I mean, again, this is somebody you watched grow up, you watched their fame take on like almost another level of what fame means. So you're 100% right in the sense that you feel connected to her in every sense of the word because you also, you've watched her, you've watched her interact with her parents, you've seen her whole family, they were very present in your life when you were, when she was growing up and when you were growing up. So I don't know, I think that is the most difficult part to wrap your head around because even though you have been, like we've all heard so many horror stories or have come up with so many horror stories about what her father's role in all of this is, Again, it's really hard to believe sometimes when that's just not your view of how parental relationships are supposed to work and that's not your experience. And so when you hear something like this, it's like it's just really difficult to wrap your brain around. It's really difficult to wrap your brain around the fact that Brittany can stand up in front of the courts and say that, you know, she has an IUD in her body that they won't let her take out, that her reproductive rights are being completely exploited and controlled. And a father can sit there and just allow it to happen and not just allow it to happen, but enjoy the fact that it's happening. And it's just, it's, it's twisted in every single sense of the word. And it's, it's heartbreaking to watch like those, that part that you said in the IUD part were just, it it was that like, it made me sick. And I think a lot of people felt that way. I have to say as a woman listening to that IUD part was really so unbelievably painful because, you know, we talk about so much of like having ownership over your own body. And if, you know, if you want to reproduce that being your personal decision and for her to say, they don't want me to go to the doctor to take it out because they don't want me to have another baby. They don't want me to have any more children. It it hit in a way that I, I just, I guess I could put it like this. I, very much understood that what she was going to say was going to be hard to listen to. Never did I think there was going to be something that was that twisted and that fucked up and that stripping a human being, a woman of their right to bear children. That takes it a whole other step further. And 
she, in my opinion, obviously I think she knew that that would have a profound impact in terms of hopefully on the judge and also just in the eyes of the public. But to me, it's like, she wasn't necessarily saying that for shock value. That was literally one of the points that she was listing out of reasons she wants out of this conservatorship. And that's kind of so terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company for every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So obviously the main goal here is to end the conservatorship and for her to get out of it. And one of the things that has to take place, or according to the current law, has to take place in order for her to do that is to undergo this evaluation. And she is really opposing the evaluation. She says, and I quote, honestly, I don't think I owe anyone to be evaluated. I've done more than enough. I don't feel like I should even be in a room with anyone to offend me by trying to question my capacity of intelligence, whether I need to be in the stupid conservatorship or not. I've done more than enough. Which again, I have no idea we can read in a moment, you know, some of the things that legal analysts have said, but I don't know the likelihood of her being able to get out of it if she doesn't go through with this evaluation. Yeah, based on everything that I've seen, I or read, I I don't believe that that's how it will end. Like I don't believe that a judge will sign off on that. But again, it's possible that if the the past evaluations are maybe brought up and looked at, that you know it can go based on that. But I I just don't know, and I I don't feel like it's extremely likely in that case. There's this legal analyst from MSNBC, his name's Danny Cavallos, and he says, quote, this is probably the most unique conservatorship case ever. The judge will not terminate this conservatorship lightly or without ample evidence. And the other thing that has to take place is before the judge even makes a decision, Brittany has to file a formal petition to end it, and that yet has not been submitted. So after she does that, a court-appointed investigator then kind of speaks with everyone involved in the court-ordered arrangement, including her, her dad, everyone, and kind of looks at it all, looks at the evidence, looks at the evaluations. And it just, again, I obviously want to view this so optimistically, but if that is one of the things that she's really unwilling to do from everything that I've read, and again, I so hope this isn't the case, it doesn't seem feasible without going through these evaluations. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, this is 
this is one of the things when they talk about, you know, she's really trapped in this and it's a really vicious cycle. And it's not as simple as like, oh, she didn't know she could end it. It's, you know, obviously, if that was the case, that would be the most simple understanding. Oh, all she has to do is petition. She just didn't know she could. They kept that information from her. But the way, and I could be wrong, but the way my understanding of, of this and the way conservatorships have kind of been presented to the public in order to get them to understand it is like, it's a vicious cycle and it's a trap. And it seems as though, especially in her case, it is really designed to keep her in this and it's very difficult for her to get out of it. And so it's not as simple as just she wants it done and she's out. And that's what I think everyone's having a really difficult time with. Because again, as we were talking about before, you know, obviously the ability to use our voice and everybody speaking about this has kind of led to this moment where she's been able to address the courts. Legal proceedings beyond that, I don't know how, you know, much public pressure is going to be able to control the outcome of that. No, I have no idea. And that's, I think, what is so scary. Because I know a lot of the articles that I was reading, lawyers kind of think that probably the most probable option, at least in the short term, is that her father is removed completely and that some of the restrictions loosen up a little, but that full removal doesn't feel so immediate, which of course, as we're hearing it, I think our immediate reaction is obviously one of emotion of like, how can you hear her speak in the way that she did and then not have that be the direct result? Like we don't understand how that could take place, but that is the issue with some of these laws that are in place. Right. Again, also hearing her speak, I think was the main thing where we were like, what like what's going on? I think from the way conservatorships have been presented and explained to us, they're really meant to be put in place for somebody who absolutely just cannot make their own decisions. How it, it's just, you know, um, I've heard it explained in a way where like people with really advanced Alzheimer's could be placed under one because they just are not in, they just do not have the capacity. And when you listen to her speak, you're listening to her and you're like, she's so coherent and she's explaining things so clearly. And she has such an understanding of her own life and her own autonomy and her own finances and her body and her, and you're like, how is it even possible that she could be in this situation when you can watch somebody so clearly at least be competent enough to express themselves in this way and give a 23 minute statement that was absolutely clear, perfect, understandable and concise and that's what's really difficult. It's like you're being told almost like, well, she has to be in this because she's not well enough. And you're like, I am watching her well enough to deliver this at least. What you're describing of a conservatorship, somebody like Brittany is well enough to not have to be in it at the very least. Right. And keep in mind also, and I know I said it before, but I do think that it is worth mentioning. She didn't know this was going to be a public hearing. So I think for her to perform in the way that she did once having the realization mid-statement is a pretty big deal. And I also want to add on top of that, I think what's frustrating for like your very, this is me, like your very average person who cares about this but has really no deep understanding of the law is that it seems that there's no middle ground being presented here. Like, do you know how many celebrities have full teams of financial advisors, business advisors, obviously managers, people that help them with their day-to-day. And so it's as if there's no presentation of a happy medium. You can not be in a conservatorship and then also have assistance with people that are helping to manage your finances or helping to manage your mental health or your security or the other things. And I think 
to me, that was one of the things that struck me as the most frustrating. It's like, wait a second, why are we acting as if these are the two extremes? Either she's going off the deep end and spending all of her money. I understand in 2008, it was not a good situation. Keep in mind, it is 13 years later or that she's in this. And it's like, there has to be some sort of an answer here about a middle ground. Yeah, there has to be. I mean, at least some sort of plan being put in place where it's just, it's very, very confusing. And again, there's obviously that understanding in 2007, 2008, that in terms of financials alone, like that somebody had to step in because we understand that there was just money completely blown. Obviously, we know, you know, they've said multiple times that her net worth about 60 million. That number should be higher. And we know that. And we know that so much of that has to do with how much money she spent during 2007 and during 2008. But we also know that that's not, this isn't the same Britney that we're dealing with. So the assumption that even from a financial point, I mean, forget about everything else, because the ability to have control over your own body, your own mind, your own day-to-day life, that is just, that should be a given right. If we're talking about just the financials here, the fact that she hasn't even been given the grace to be able to say, I'm not that same person anymore, especially in terms of finances, is just absolutely mind boggling to me on top of everything else. Yeah, no, I know. There was an article by Amber Tamblyn, who is an actress and started acting when she was about 10 years old. It was an op-ed in the New York Times and it was called Britney Spears's Raw Anger and Mine. And she drew just some comparisons to her experiences into Britney's, obviously explaining that Britney's were on a much larger scale, but she was talking about specifically as it applied to Britney's father. And I just want to read these two paragraphs. She says, my parents were supportive and ethical in every way. I was never treated like a racehorse as Miss Spears' father reportedly called her. My mom taught me everything I know about money management from balancing checkbooks to coding my business expenses and my credit card statements. My father was a fiercely protective advocate. Even so, having my parents on payroll was damaging to our relationship, whether we understood that or not. I couldn't shake the feeling that every time I had a conversation with my parents about money, it felt as if I was asking for an allowance. Only the allowance came from money I'd earned. Every conversation with them became about my earnings and my work. And even though I knew there was space to call up my parents and ask for life advice or just catch up, I rarely did so because of the roles they had taken in my life. I was everyone's ATM, a bank that was nonetheless unconditionally loved. Still, as I got older, it got harder to trust the sources of that love. One of Miss Spears' most disturbing claims this week was that she was forced to get an IUD to prevent her from having more children. It was not just her money they wanted to control, but also her body. Because in entertainment, for young women, the two were almost invariably intertwined. I've experienced my own version of this dynamic. Growing up, my weight was openly discussed by everyone, from family members to Hollywood creatives. I had grin and bear it because staying silent and thin meant I would get hired again. Getting hired again meant people would be proud of me and that I would have the money that was needed to keep the ship afloat. Oh, that's deep. Yeah, very much so. You know, I know before you were making the point about how Britney's conservatorship is so highlighted because of who she is, but it really does bring to the attention so many other, quote, normal people that are in similar situations or situations where their fundamental rights are being taken from them. And that's very much true. I also think kind of on the flip side, it really highlights a deeply fundamental issue with Hollywood, specifically as it applies to young women, because 
the patterns that are here, they've obviously intensified over the years, but they all started when she was a child, when she was evaluated based on her body and based on these superficial elements. And even then, pre-conservatorship, feeling stripped of some of her own power, which we've seen her talk about in interviews. And so this is kind of just like a very large manifestation of that. And what Amber is speaking to, it just goes to show how rampant it runs throughout Hollywood and it's something needs to change. A hundred percent. And, you know, a conversation that we've had a lot, both on the podcast and, you know, separate in our own lives is there was, when you look specifically at, at Disney stars and young actors, and there was always like this thing that was like, oh, the curse of the young actor, they called it, or the curse of the young actress, where like, you know, they were a childhood actress and then they fell off the deep end. And for a really long time, we all kind of treated it as like mere coincidence. Like, oh, how crazy that this keeps happening. And I think when you look at situations like this, both Amber and Brittany, and you understand that a lot of times child actors are put in this situation by their family because they then become the moneymaker. They are then in charge of supporting their entire family. And they are, even if they have really great supportive parents, a lot of times they get put in a situation where they're exploited for the rest of the family. And then there are a lot of ones that are put in this situation with not so great parents and they're purposely put in. And what we used to treat as like a curse or a coincidence that all of these child actors or so many of them went down a path that was really concerning was something that we should have been paying attention to from the beginning. Why are they doing this? What is the support that they're needed if they're the young child that is then becoming the breadwinner for their entire family, if their parents and their entire family are dependent on them as a child for financial support, what does that then do to someone's mental health? If they're putting the situation because their mental health and their parents, you know, control over them is questionable from before they even start acting, then what do we do in that situation? And that was something that we never, ever paid attention to. And I think it's something that we're only starting to now because we're finally understanding how these situations happen and the framework for actors and young Hollywood stars going down paths that we consider to be, quote, the wrong path. Yes, because the repercussions are just too detrimental. And I think also the other thing that happens so much, just more generally with, you know, child stars is as they get a little bit older and they engage in these behaviors that the public is so judgmental of and feel so reckless, oftentimes you realize it's because they're doing the things that they wanted to live out in their childhood that they never got the chance to because they were the breadwinner or they were the workhorse or whatever you want to call it. And that is not a normal dynamic. And the the issue is that I understand, I really can understand how when a child is young, it feels like the parent is the safest option because theoretically, they would already have their best interests at heart. So they're not somebody that's going to take advantage of them. And bringing in a third party may feel very unsafe when you're working with a child. I get it. And I do think it's circumstantial and it's on a case-by-case basis. However, in general, clearly there is something about this business dynamic being intertwined into a nuclear family way too young that breeds some seriously damaging effects. And listen, there are a million that could come for the reverse. Look at Chris Jenner, for example, right? I get it that it can work, but it has to be handled very delicately. And I think the number one thing that we're seeing is that it needs to be handled with so much transparency. And the lack of transparency just really breeds tragedy. This is, I would call this a tragedy. Oh, 100%. The transparency thing is, I think, actually the biggest aspect of it and the biggest aspect that goes into the larger conversation about mental health, which is 
at some point they felt that Britney's mental health no longer entitled her to transparency, no longer entitled her to a full understanding of what was going on in her own life. And that is my biggest issue, I think, with this entire thing, because I think that is the overarching problem here is that there are decisions being made about her own life. And somewhere along the lines, both her parents, her management, the courts, her doctors decided that her mental health struggles prevented her from being included in those decisions. And that should never happen. It should never happen. I beautifully said, I think the transparency way is a perfect kind of way to wrap that up. And it was never more evident than her not knowing she could petition it, not knowing that this was going to be an open hearing. Things that seem, and I obviously we're in the real end stages here. So think about the lack of transparency that has been going on. I mean, switching her medication, the, the list, the list is endless, but it is absolutely disgusting and horrifying and maddening. And I, you know, there's like that whole thing about people saying, well, how can you get so worked up over a celebrity that you don't know? Well, it's actually a human rights thing at this point. And so not getting worked up, I actually think is a little bit more concerning if I'm being honest. Absolutely. Yes. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. I'm sure you guys have all seen these pictures by now, but there's just no way they were going to exist and we weren't going to talk about it. ASAP and Rihanna are really just living it up in Manhattan right now. And it's something that we were talking about this last week in terms of like lacking these really phenomenal pop culture moments, even if they're not that big of a deal, just really photo op worthy or just really something that gets us excited. It was as if our prayers were answered because this is what we wanted. ASAP and Rihanna being denied at Barcade and then him carrying her through the streets while we also find out that the matching shark tattoo she got with Drake was covered up. Yes, that is what I want. That is the energy we were talking about last week. All I want is like criminally hot couples to be walking around the city. They are maybe 
the hottest couple ever. And I'm not just saying that. I was looking at the pictures of them and I was like, you guys are, you're another level. You are another level. And specifically in New York, it's it's elevated beyond I, anything I can imagine. Yeah, because there's something about them being in New York. And I, I would say it happens to most celebrities, but not all, because there's a certain way to do it. There's something about the way that they do it where I think it really just highlights like <laughs> in the most simple way, how cool they are. Their just ability to kind of like interact with the world in this very effortless way is so highlighted in New York in a way that it can't be in other places that they travel. And I just fucking love it. You're right. It was just cool and like weirdly normal. And I'm not even talking about the fact that Rihanna got <laughs> almost not let into Barcade because she didn't have her ID and somehow the bouncer did not know who she was, which is something that I could not even wrap my head around in the slightest. But the fact that they were going to Barcade in the first place, that's not a seamy bar. It's a bar with games in the city that like I, I've I've been on a date there. Like, you know what I mean? So the fact that they were even doing that in the first place, the fact that that was their Wednesday night plan was to walk around the city in the coolest outfits I've ever seen and then go to Barcade is just, that's what I'm talking about. That is the energy every single person should be bringing this summer. Right. It's weirdly normal. And that is what I love about it. I just, I love watching hot couples walk around. I've been staring at Haley and Justin walking around Paris and then Greece now. Like all I love to do is watch hot couples walk around. I know. Sue us. Uh, sue us. Exactly. Also, keep in mind that initially when her and Drake had gotten the tattoos, he got it on his arm and hers was on her ankle. And as recently as May, which we're talking, I mean, literally last month, she was photographed with the shark tattoo visible. So this is a very recent thing. It's rare that we would have like photographic proof in terms of the timeline of all this, but we really do. So who knows? Maybe she was going to get it covered up anyway. Maybe things are escalating with ASAP and she feels weird to have the matching tattoo with one of her ex-boyfriends. I do just wonder if this was the first time Drake was finding out about that cover-up slash if he will cover his. I would say absolutely the first time he found out about it. It has to be, right? What's she going to do? Send him a thing from the tattoo parlor from Laser? No way. I Well, she got it covered. She got something on top of it. But I, yeah, I would imagine that this is... I don't believe that they're speaking. So unless she did it and somebody else was like, hey, heads up, I saw Rihanna the other night and she had a tattoo covered, which I don't believe would happen. I imagine that he found out with the rest of the world, which is, <laughs> my obviously I'm upset for him. Like I'm not going to pretend like I take enjoyment in him being upset. Like, But here's the thing. It's not even about that, like about being upset for him or sad for him, whatever that is. It's more so I, I can't get over how funny I think it is that Drake is in his, you know, fucking palace in Canada and he opens his phone to the Daily Mail Snapchat and he's finding out literally at the exact same time that we are that she covered it up. That is hilarious when you think about it. Like here he is in the fucking closet with the Birkins that he already has set up for his future wife and he's finding out that the shark tattoo is covered. That is the visual. Talk about a talk about a visual that I want. I want to know who is Drake's first phone call after he sees the photos of ASAP and Rihanna walking through the city, getting denied in Barcade and finding out about that t- the tattoo. That is a question we need an answer to. I have that answer. Who is it? It's his mom. It's got to be, right? I, I cannot even explain to you how deeply I know the fact that he called his mom after that happened. And I have to tell you, on top of all of this... I would be shocked, shocked if he covered up that tattoo. The most Drake thing in the entire world would be keeping that tattoo. Yeah, forever, kind of as like a, and then having a line in the song about it, how like, you know, it wasn't an important imprint in his life and 
he doesn't need to cover up that time. Not in a shady way necessarily, but kind of in a way that comes across as incredibly emotional while also potentially aiming to make her feel bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Although she wouldn't feel bad. And I have to say, like, if there was ever a period in my life where me and Rihanna got matching tattoos, and even if it ended in maybe the worst way ever, I am not covering up the matching tattoo I got with Rihanna. That will right. sit on my body forever. I might honestly get the shark. Fuck Drake in his broken closet. That's what I want. I want you showing your parents your shark tattoo you got in solidarity with Rihanna. I would have to... I know I have my own apartment, but for some reason I was like, I'd have to move into the broken closet. <laughs> <laughs> also, in other news, I know we haven't spoken about this in a few weeks, John Mulaney and Olivia Munn were seen together having what appeared to be a lunch date in LA. And as we know, he split from his ex-wife on May 10th. It was revealed pretty much immediately after, I guess simultaneously, that he was apparently seeing Olivia Munn. But these were the first photos of them together, which is also something we manifested on the podcast. When those pictures popped up, my initial reaction was like, like literally, I completely forgot. No, that's what you responded. When I sent it to Julie, she's like, holy shit, I forgot this was even happening. I guess because- Neither of those people, like John Mulaney and Olivia Munn, are not necessarily people that are in our, like, daily orbit, right? Well, yeah. Well, to an extent. Like, I think about John Mulaney, obviously, a lot, but I just, I guess I wasn't thinking about them as a couple. Like, I think about him as, like, a singular entity, usually. So I forgot about them, and there hadn't been pictures. But I also would say I'm different where I think about John Mulaney probably more than the average person does. No, I, I know what you mean. Obviously, you, you like appreciate his comedy. I'm saying more so, remember last week we were having the conversation about J-Lo, about how like if you even remotely care about pop culture, you can't escape news about her. You very easily can escape news about John Mulaney or Olivia Munn if you're not looking for it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And then, guys, really coming in hot, Cardi announced last night during her performance with Offset at the BET Awards that she is pregnant with baby number two. She then immediately posted about it on Instagram. Oh my God. You know what? Amazing fucking week for celebrity news. Everyone give yourselves a round of applause because you all really stepped up this week in a way that I really needed. Yeah. We, I, I love when this happens. Remember last week you said putting something into the universe. I forget what it was. And we all collectively, like me and the rest of the audience kind of cheered you on for using that wording. This is what happens when you do it. You did it. You did it beautifully. And here we are. Okay. So next thing I'm putting into the universe is Drake giving me those Birkins. Okay. <laughs> so if it doesn't happen by next week, you're going to have to have a talk. Em. Is that a really seamless transition into the Kardashian recap a la Kim gifting Lala? Uh, unintentionally, I think it might be. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you, not as they really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. 
Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T H E O U A I dot com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T H E O U A I dot com promo code CELEBS. So, a few things in the Kardashian recap, but I do want to start with this Lala gift. I don't know if you guys saw it. We'll put the link to Hollywood Unlocks post in the description. But last week, we were talking about how Lala officially filed for divorce from Carmelo and we were saying how her and Kim presumably are going to have this great summer together. And it was her birthday, which as we know, she's one of Kim's ride or die, if not her ultimate ride or die. And she posted a video of what Kim got her, which is like the giant travel Birkin in that gorgeous black leather. But you have to hear the way that Lala narrates it. Cause it was just like, you were getting excited just by listening to the travels that they're going to have together. I, love their friendship and I really love Lala so much. She's the best, right? Like she's one of those people where you don't know her at all, but you're like, I can just tell you are a phenomenal friend and Larsa wishes. Larsa fucking wishes. I kind of hate this about myself slash both of us that we do this because in general, we're not these type of people. I think that we can be really happy for someone and not mention someone else, but I find myself having a fundamental inability to talk about how good of a friend Lala seems to be and then not also make some jab about Larsa. I find myself like in situations where Larsa doesn't even have any place being brought into the conversation. Like at least it makes sense to bring Larsa into the Lala conversation. Like I'll be talking to somebody about something absolutely random and be like, Larsa. And it's like, what's she even doing there? But I have a physical inability to not bring her up in certain situations. It's something that you, me, and Isabel have normalized because we use her as like almost analogous <laughs> to, to like bad. If you were just listening for the first time today, you'd be like, wow, they really hate Larsa. And it's not even specifically that. It's just like, she's my she's my barometer for comparing people to like when we're talking about friendships or we're talking about the Kardashians. Like, it's just become this inside joke that I think has taken on a life of its own. But like, also everyone else is kind of in on it. So it gives us permission to be able to do it. Well, everyone else who listens is in on it. Like it's a safe space. Whereas I have to remember that that's not any sort of like an intellectual argument to use when comparing things in real life with people that don't follow this stuff. Like I could totally see myself talking to like a boyfriend's parents about, you know, someone that wronged them and be like, wow, that really was a Larsa move as if like that's any sort of normal thing to say in conversation. <laughs> You've definitely said that in meetings we've been in. Oh, I, t- I totally have. Totally have. <laughs> Also, Travis Barker tweeted that he may fly again, which I know is something that we've spoken about a lot, just obviously his whole really tragic experience with that and how we wondered you know, if that would influence his relationship with Courtney since traveling is such a huge part of her life. And I think that that is one of those things where obviously I support whatever he does because I can't imagine getting on a plane after that. Although I think if he did, that would be unbelievable. That what a real tangible sign and expression of their love for one another and like the safety and the comfort that he feels in this relationship. Definitely. And by the time this comes out, we may have more of an update on this, but I don't know if you saw this, that Kim and Tracy both posted today that they're in Italy and they posted from the Coliseum. And I believe I saw Courtney in the, like in Kim's pan while they were at the Coliseum. So it is possible that by the time this comes out, this plane ride that Travis is talking about may have already actually taken place. That would be wild. Do you think? 
I don't know because I guess I'm thinking about it from my own perspective, which is like you like there's just not a chance in the entire world I would ever get back on a plane after that. Like I just could not even physically imagine. So um, I don't know if that's my own projection of the situation and I'm thinking it's impossible because of myself or if it's actually just like he's going to need a lot more preparation and maybe like a little bit of actual like therapy you know, to get him prepared for this trip. And it can't just be a win thing. Although he did say in that interview a couple of weeks ago that if he were to do it, he has a situation set up where somebody, quote unquote, AK Courtney, would tell him to pack a bag and be ready in 24 hours and he would just get on and do it. So maybe this was the time to do that. I have no idea if this is true. So like by the time the podcast comes out, we may know it and I may sound really stupid, but whatever, that's the risk for me saying this. The reason that I don't foresee him being on this particular trip is because if he's going to do it, I feel like he would want to do it with his kids and Courtney. And like, I don't think he wants, you know, Kim and all of the glam squad. And just, I think that may be too overwhelming. I personally could foresee that, you know, again, I'm trying, I guess I'm projecting how I would feel in that situation. Maybe there's something about more people that actually provides him more comfort, but I feel like he may not know how he's going to react on a plane and he wants to do with as few people as physically possible, just as another theory to throw into the ring. It's definitely possible. I don't know. Did you see, wait, did you see 15 minutes ago? Kim posted, ever since I was 10 years old, I've heard every single detail about the Olympics from my stepdad. As I'd watch the athletes compete, I would grow to understand the dedication and honor being a part of the Olympics embodied. I traveled with my stepdad and family to all different cities for the Olympic trials, the Olympics and track meets of Caitlyn Jenner, and at every stop, I would buy an Olympic t-shirt as a souvenir. When I received the call inviting Skims to be a part of Team USA, every moment I spent admiring the strength and energy of the Olympians from the sidelines came full circle. I'm honored to announce that Skims is designing the official Team USA undergarments, pajamas, and loungewear for the athletes this year in Tokyo, and the same pieces will be available in a capsule collection at skims.com. Wow. That's amazing. That's a huge fucking deal. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. These pictures are phenomenal. And the Paralympic Games. That's amazing. That's incredible. Fucking good for Kim. And while we're on Kim's page... That picture of Chicago in her closet was, I'm sorry, next level. Next level. Is that not the cutest thing you've ever seen? I literally cannot even handle this picture. It is the cutest picture <laughs> ever, ever. Actually, that's you and Drake's Birkin closet. Oh, my God. I'm going to make a similar one, and I'm going to send it to you as a side-by-side picture. Like, you have a view, the pictures of you and your mom. No, I'm putting your face on Chicago in this Birkin closet. Deal. That's so funny. Also, Chloe's birthday, obviously, you know, everybody has the most beautiful tributes to her because I really do think with, in addition to Kim, she's like the glue of the family. I don't know, guys, about Tristan. You know his post. I will read it. Happy birthday at Chloe Kardashian. Thank you for not just being an amazing partner, mommy, and best friend, but also being the kindest, caring, and most loving human being I've ever met. Your love and spirit is contagious to all who've met you. Thank you for always being there for me and putting our family first. I love you so much. Have an amazing day. At the time that we're recording this, she didn't like it. She didn't comment. Again, that doesn't mean anything, but I think we're all sitting here like, what the fuck is going on? I don't think we'll ever know or have ever known what the fuck is going on. I'm over it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, whatever. At this point, it's just like, I'm done analyzing them because who knows? Yeah. You know, actually, that feels really empowering slash liberating to say. Right. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. Also, one thing I just wanted to add from last week when we were talking about Megan Fox and Courtney and Travis and MGK at the pop-up concert in Venice, and we were saying how like when you look at it just from the outside, 
it's so crazy to see all these random people mixed together. So Mod Sun is there with Avril Lavigne, who he's currently dating. And we have, you know, Jaden from TikTok, and we were wondering where Nessa is, and just this whole world of these people that are all kind of seemingly together. We were listing out the webs, and I totally forgot to say this, and a lot of people DM'd us. Add on to that that Avril Lavigne used to date Brody Jenner just to make it even weirder. I know we all know that, but like I do think that when you think about things like that, and we could probably make more webs from some of the other people's exes, it just creates this giant entanglement that really makes you wonder how these crossovers can continue to persist. Hollywood is just so fucking connected and so wild, and I love every single time it that like link to other celebrities and other couples just continues to grow. Yes. It's very fun to follow. Very. Anything else you'd like to mention? I think that's it, kid. Did you have fun? I had the best time. (laughs) Me too. We love you guys. We'll see you later this week for our bonus show. Ismael and I will see you on Friday for Bravo. And don't forget our highlighted black owned businesses in the description. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.